Welcome to CTL Connections Short Bites, a series of interviews with senior engineering leaders. I'm your host, Peter Bell. The future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. At CTL Connection, we try to solve that by identifying, curating, and distributing the latest tools and techniques for more effectively building and managing an engineering team. Join our community at ctlconnection.com. I'd like to take a moment to thank our partners. Code Climate is our global sponsor. Code Climate Velocity helps CTOs, VPEs, and directors at companies like Slack, Gusto, and Pizza Hut align initiatives with strategic priorities, accelerate software delivery, and drive continuous improvement. I'd also like to thank Amazon Web Services and Carrot, our sustaining partners. I'd also like to take a moment to introduce our Short Bytes partner, Cloud Zero. You're spending a ton of money on the cloud, so shouldn't you know exactly what you're spending it on? Cloud Zero will help you organize and understand your cloud spend better than anyone else out there. You'll get visibility without the typical pitfalls of legacy cloud cost management tools like endless tagging or clunky Kubernetes support. With Cloud Zero, you can optimize your unit economics, decentralize cost intelligence to engineering, and create a shared language between finance and technical teams. You'll be able to answer questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What is the cost impact of re-architecting this application? Join companies like Drift, Rapid7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started. Again, please visit cloudzero.com slash ctlconnection to get started today. Today, I'm speaking with Arunava Bag, CTO at Digitate. Uh, Arunava, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk to you today. So I, I, I love the, the topic, which is something we've all become intimately familiar with ever since we tried to connect developers to operations is DevOps. The idea that, okay, we probably shouldn't just throw our code over the wire and have someone take care of it um, because they create silos. It means that the developers aren't focused on production issues. Uh, lo- lots of goodness comes from the whole kind of DevOps and now SRE movement. Uh, but I feel like you're talking about almost the next generation of this, which is AI ops. This was a relatively new term to me, but maybe for, for anyone, apologies for those of you who are like AI ops experts, but for, for the listeners who aren't, would you mind just like providing a little bit of context about what exactly is AI ops and what's the problem it's designed to solve? Okay. So let me start with, um, you know, the life of a DevOps engineer or a team. So they are, uh, what they do, you know, in simple terms, plan, build, test, release, monitor, secure, all, all this gamut. And it's it's not a very easy task, correct? Because it goes across so many hops, you know, doing things in silos really create trouble. So what happens uh, that in recent terms, the term site reliability engineering has come in front. What really means they need to reduce toil in the system so that the system runs perfectly without less human intervention, if you have to put it in very simple terms. And some of the activities they have to do in build is, you know, accessories, automated release, understand change impact, do monitoring of system, automate some of the common occurring problems and solving those, et cetera, et cetera, correct? Now, some trains are happening correct, in, in this whole thing. Uh, in 20, By 2025, some of the leading analysts say that in this whole world, two important things will happen. In this whole chain from piecemeal integration, it will lead towards end-to-end integration. What it really means that these silos 
will be connected with each other or will be connected by an intelligent plane so that things are not siloed and things can be fixed end to end much easily. Correct? That is one. Second is, you know, things will move from descriptive and diagnostics to predictive and prescriptive analytics. These are two important trends. Now, if you put these things together, comes AI ops. AI ops full form. It's, it's a relatively new term. It is artificial intelligence for operations. What it really means that in, in your DevOps world, the things that you do, so big things, correct? Uh, you know, you have to understand how things are connected with each other, the context. You need to understand system, normal behavior, anomalies, event management, figuring and triaging problems and fixing them. That is one side of it. So how you can do by using AI, ML, et cetera, faster in this whole cycle from monitoring to fixing, it is A. And B, the second piece that I talked about, that how you can gain insight from what has happened so far, the events, the monitoring data metric to figure out what is going on so that you can predict things, you can forecast things. And that's how you move from descriptive and diagnostics only from monitoring and anomaly detection slowly towards predictive and prescriptive analysis. So that is where the AI ops comes into the world of DevOps and very specifically to site reliability engineer. That makes sense. So I, I got to ask just to have a context as to how this thing works. So let's say you've got a fairly modern system, you've got a whole bunch of microservices and you've got a bunch of telemetry coming off of this, right? And you're dealing with some kind of observability tooling to give you some sense of traces and, oh, this thing went wrong, but it was probably because this thing, which was connected to this thing, which was connected to this other thing. So presumably a component of this is that you would be feeding that kind of like baseline data into some kind of machine learning model that would be trained on, on what is normal versus anomalous behavior over a certain period of time? Yes. So let me uh, tell you it through one example, correct? An example yeah. that we all understand okay, and how things come to each other. And what I'm going to talk about is the zenith of AI ops. Okay. What we also tell, it's a closed loop uh, autonomous systems. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> In the morning, Monday morning, uh, suddenly your monitoring tools start telling that your service, payment service has become very slow and your users are having trouble in accessing many of the applications, correct? It's a very common problem. <clears throat> now, the moment that happens, what people try to do, they try to come on a Zoom call like we are in today and try to blame each other, correct? It's not my problem, it is your problem, etc., etc. <clears throat> okay? Then, you know, there will be some hero in the room, you know, and they know what has happened previously. You know, they will try to tell someone, don't look into the database. Last Monday, that was the problem, you know. Uh, so the human knowledge, you know, tacit knowledge comes into picture here. And then someone will go and monitor five systems, 10 systems. They will try again, come back and try to correlate and then try to figure out and tell, okay, try these three things because these three things seem to be a problem. And by this time, four hours have passed. You know, the CIO has called, the CEO has called, the C2 is in a meeting. All these things happen. So we know, know about this, correct? I have lived this life. I have been a performance engineer for 15 years of my life. I have seen this. Okay. Now in AI ops, what we try to do, say first thing is observe. That first thing is that you should be able to observe what is happening in the system and make sense out of it through monitoring tool, the first step, correct? Then the second piece is that the payment system that really, really went down, Okay, what is it made out of? We call it a context. So a payment service is made of five applications. Those are connected to app server, web server, database server. You know, this is the whole nine year, the whole jungle under this service. Right? 
So if, if you have something like that, and you also have from your past data that how this database behaves on a Monday morning, how this operating system behaves on a Tuesday evening. So you have the normal behavior. So A, you have the monitoring data coming in, the past data fed in, and that tells you the normal behavior of the system, correct? Second, you know how things are connected with each other. Now, whenever an alert comes that it says your system has gone down, instead of a human looking into it, a machine, as it knows what a service is made of, it can go tuck, 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 and figure out what is the behavior now. Compare it with the normal behavior. Wherever there is a problem that the database is, it should not behave like this on a Tuesday. The operating system should not behave like this on a Monday. And say, boss, these are the hotspots. That is the triaging piece. Then, given permission, another bot or a machine or a knowledge cartridge actually goes and fixes it. And it takes permission if required from Peter or Bob somewhere that, okay, I'm going to do this. Do you want me to do that? So in principle, you know, by the component of observability, context, no normal behavior analysis through AI, ML, automated health diagnostics, figuring out the problems, triaging and going and fixing through an automation is a zenith of example of AI ops, how AI ops can help you. The problem today is uh, that we do many of these things, but things are again siloed. Someone does the context, someone the normal behavior, someone the monitoring, someone the triaging. Still, we come to the conference room and blame each other. But hopefully in two, three, four years time, uh, I mean, if, if you teach all these things, then AI will be help, you know, to you become autonomous, correct? From auto, automated, that it is taking some decisions on its own, bringing intelligence. And this is where in you know, the trend of piecemeal integration to end-to-end -end integration coming into picture. But does that make sense? Absolutely. And then just to be absolutely clear, so this sounds, this is unsupervised learning. This isn't like humans tagging the data. This is unsupervised learning and pattern detection. It, it, it is all, you know, uh, so okay. if, if I take, say, for example, the context piece, mm -hmm. probably you have to feed yeah. somewhere. So there is some amount of supervised learning. The last mile code, how to restart an Oracle database. Okay. Or how, that can be a supervised learning. Right. But the unsupervised learning or situational learning comes where that when a seemingly similar problem comes on Monday that your website is down. The problem can be anything under it. It can be a database problem today. It can be operating system tomorrow. Learning and by navigating that, you know, where the problem lies dynamically is the unsupervised part at its best. And if you see, the, no standard operating procedure can solve this because A, the systems, your services are connected to today. In today's dynamic world can change. You know, a VM can change to another VM. Okay, today the problem can be in database, tomorrow the problem can be in the operating system. So you, you, you can never write a SOP, you can write a SOP, but there will be infinity plus one kind of combinations. Okay, so by having this combination of context, etc., where the system will go and stitch these small, small, small things together and use the story is where, you know, the whole uh, unsupervised learn, uh, learning also comes into picture. But supervised learning is very important. The last mile code, the context, the system behavior, which is standard, you have to teach the you know uh, machine. It, it, it's not a magic, correct? <laughs> I mean, you'd love to say that it's unsupervised, that it's really not. It's a combination of both. That makes perfect sense. Now, especially for the unsupervised part in terms of understanding what the anomalies are, are there, presumably you need to train for a specific environment. You can't just have a generalized model, like take the last layer off and then customize it. So it's probably training from scratch for any given production environment. Is that usually the case? Uh, so generally, uh, two things happen. So algorithms are there at many places, correct, for years, okay? Mm -hmm. 
question is which algorithm suits your data suit and the situation best is the trick okay so a you have to train the algorithms or the models with past data that is important say past six months of data statistically yeah. we said some you know number of data points and then it builds correct uh, the normal behavior so uh, that is there but the trick is that if you have a certain kind of data which algorithm to use is the trick so we have a, i mean there's a concept called algorithm of algorithms Mm-hmm. That when there is a kind of data sets, which algorithm suits best, you know, is what you have so need to arrive at. The fitting, it will look for the fitting to historic data, which best was most predictive historically, and then select that algorithm. Yes, it is a training the, you know, training the model, you know, you use some part of data, but it, it changes, you know, based on the data that is coming to you. Now, is there anything that requires training? I, I always, I used to teach uh, big data at uh, Columbia Business School. And one of the challenges we, we'd run into is people would be like, well, hey, I've got this website and I get like three visitors a month. So can I use like, you know, ML to like leverage that? I'm like, yes, in about 40,000 years, <laughs> because it's just <laughs> like you don't have enough data. Uh, yeah. What kind Is this something that is only relevant to Amazon and Walmart? Or is this relevant to almost any like kind of mid-sized to larger business? At what point does this start to have, do you have enough data or enough data points to say that's enough to train the model effectively? Yeah, uh, so you are very correct. So for example, if an organization has uh, 20 bad jobs, they can probably do the analysis on spreadsheet. It it really doesn't, you know, need (laughs) kind of, because, you know, uh, there is a lot of work has to go in in training these models, correct? So I will say mid-size uh, to large enterprises will be probably uh, more uh, using this more. But you know what's happening that in uh, last few years the amount of uh, monitoring okay has gone up so much. The amount of data that is being generated has actually you know uh, you know gone, gone through the roof, correct? And that is where uh, the whole AI ML is becoming important probably for each and every space. And to be frank enough, you know, uh, the whole, uh, the AI ML is n- nothing new, but now it is gaining acceleration because of two things, because there is enough data to train because so much data has been generated and B, there is enough hardware to run these algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And these two things have come together. And on the top of that, you know, the pandemic came and the need for, you know, more unsupervised learning, need for autonomous things came into picture. So all these three things come together. It's, I will say, a commonplace, but you are correct. You need to be, you know, prudent that where you want to apply it. You really don't want to apply it for all your applications. You want to apply it for your top 20 because top 20 gives you 90% of the problem. Hmm. That makes perfect sense. And then how do you think about engaging with noise? Because one of the challenging with a lot of one of the challenges with a lot of monitoring and alerting systems is finding that optimal sensitivity, right? Where it's like it tells you when something really bad happens, but it doesn't keep bugging you when things that are slightly out of the ordinary happen all the time. Do you do you have to you just do you is there an element of supervised learning there where you kind of feed back to the system like, nah, don't bother me about this again, don't bother me about this again? Or or how does that get tuned? Yes. Uh, so that is where I think your question also comes to the false triggers, correct? I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. too many things coming in. Yeah. And that is a big um, thing in AI ops today. If you see the buying pattern of AI ops, uh, you know, today uh, event management is a big problem, big deal actually. People are yeah. buying mostly into that. 
though you know i believe personally that not only event management the automation also needs to come after that but anyway that's a different thing so event management plays a big role in uh, sorting out many of this problem and it can be done in two three ways correct a uh, that typically there are seven layers let me come to the noise reduction and then come to the feedback piece of it perfect uh, so things can be duplicate correct things mm-hmm. can be related there is a database sitting on an operating system they are both giving an alert probably they are related model based correlation case based things happen then just after 10 minutes things happen again there is a signature so you need to correlate so uh, then people can write rule you know don't take anything from this machine because you know i don't want this so there is rule based there is case based there is correlation there is suppression etc it is one piece of it the second piece which is specific question that you had that now this data is coming correct i mean you are getting say say response time of a website coming to you correct every 5 minutes now any ai ops product should be able to figure out what a normal behavior is okay typically uh, you know by putting what is what does a monday morning look like day of the week hour of the day you know day of the month you know day week of the year there are different you know algorithms i, I talked about then when you say that on a monday morning a database number of insta- number of user connections is always 100 on a monday morning but on a tuesday evening it is 20 okay so you really cannot put a specific threshold to that database number of user connections so if these goes back to the machine or the monitoring tool and the monitoring tool has the capability to set a dynamic threshold that is one way to reduce false positive and false negatives both that is one if it's not possible then a good event management tool can take the alerts and then by using this principle you know the dynamic behavior it can actually suppress so does that make sense so false and you know false positive negative both are important and it's a problem today we have seen in a good organization 70 to 80% alerts are false in a bad monitoring it can be more than 90% <laughs> <laughs> and you remember there are transient problems also say for example alert alert comes you know i'm not being able to reach this server but probably it has gone away after one minute you know so figuring out those things also are also very important you know in reducing number of alerts and it's a big trouble and ai ops if you go and talk to any organization the first thing comes to their mind is obviously prediction etc but practically event management you know event insights and event suppression is a big deal and probably the number one thing in ai ops in people's mind got it and then how do you deal with expected anomalies like oh one of the things that the 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 system will not know is that you bought a super bowl ad and so there's a particular day that that you're going to have very unexpected behavior uh do you do you just kind of just nix any automations at that point in time so that it doesn't um because all kinds of things can happen on those specific days where the, where there is a a known anomaly how do how do you think about that yes. so two things are possible you know technically speaking one is you can write a rule mm-hmm. that you know between this time and this time you know don't bother that's fine <laughs> <laughs> second is you know similar to this another thing happens in you know uh, devops area or in production that many times systems are in maintenance mode very common thing and that time you know you are not getting any ping back from that server so there is a concept of you know, telling a machine that this is my maintenance mode maintenance time maintenance window ignore everything so it can pick the maintenance window from somewhere and you know ignore everything from there so maintenance window mode you know rule based etc etc are some ways people deal with it 
Got it. That makes perfect sense. So it seems like at least one component of this is kind of reducing mean time to recovery, right? Both in terms of identification and potentially in terms of automated resolution for, for yes. some subset of problems. Yes. Um, but then you also mentioned uh, the idea that, you know, in a perfect world over time, this could maybe even become prescriptive and predictive in terms of looking at forecasting potential issues. So let, let me give you an example. So at least, you know, uh, as per the market, <clears throat> so there are four kinds of, uh, you know, I will say uh, monitoring or you can say analysis, uh, descriptive, diagnostics, predictive, prescriptive. Okay. So today we are somewhere in descriptive, say, for example, monitoring, log analysis, etc. Diagnostics, anomaly detection, etc. These are becoming commonplace. But predictive is something people are saying that in next two to three years, predictive and prescriptive will come. So in predictive, you know, one thing, two, three things happen. One is the full forecasting piece. To give you an example, you are doing event monitoring, event management. And you see that there is a temporal pattern of events coming every Wednesday, 7 p.m., you know, something comes. You know, So you build a temporal pattern. So based on that, you can forecast that these problems are going to come. These things can become very, very complex in batch world. You know, you can predict much finer. But that's a discussion for another day, must be tell. And uh, say, for example, you know, there's a case-based prediction. When one alert comes within 15 minutes, another alert comes with 90% confidence, you can analyze that and in, through analytics. These are signatures, correct? So one, once a machine can figure out all these things, it can say, okay, alert A has come. There is a chance that within 15 minutes, B will also come. And in production, we are getting a 15 minute heads up for a specific alert is a big deal, correct? So that is the whole, uh, predictive is there a static prediction say for example when your capacity will go bad when your response time will go through some window you know based on you know pattern recognition etc extend extending the you know uh, pattern that is one prescriptive is very important that is where subject matter expertise domain knowledge comes big okay say for example uh, your uh, database is slow i'm taking an example you have figured out that the database is slow what to do with it okay then if you know you can put five things that these are the five things that you should do in this order then it becomes prescriptive you know what that this is a problem i am figuring out i am telling you that these are five things possible which one you want to do you know a good machine will tell a good AIS, you know uh, product and someone say okay you know do two number two so he will go and do it so uh, this is the prescriptive part but very important is uh, See, in this whole prescription, it is important to keep man in the middle in today's scenario. So augmented AI, collaboration, you know, collaborative triaging, these are the concepts which are very important, where a machine will do the triaging piece. It will probably prescribe also, but probably it, will, it should take permission. And in many cases, it will hand over to a human resolver, okay, so that he can take it from there because systems are sensitive. Today, the market is still not very comfortable with the idea of self-heal in um, complicated systems and important systems. So we, we learned it in a very hard way, correct? <laughs> we went and talked about, you know, five years back, you know, it will sell hero system, the, you know, the CQ and CI will be hold, hold there, don't do anything, we have burnt our fingers. So that whole concept of collaboration room, you know, augmented triaging, et cetera, et cetera, came into picture. So yes, it is moving towards prescriptive, domain knowledge is important, but, Keeping the man in the middle is also important. That is having the capability is very important. That makes perfect sense. Now, if I'm a CTO, 
who in my organization would typically be responsible for for bringing this this kind of technology into the into the org yeah so you know what we have seen uh, that uh, practically speaking that there are two sets of uh, you know people who are involved one is the whatever you say call it a center of excellence or run architecture team or someone called it you know architect chief architect okay this kind of thing they should be evaluating the product or the capability from a technology perspective that is a okay because it is very very important because there is so much of noise you know people calling them as ai ops because uh, definition of ai ops is very fluid correct some monitoring tool will put two analytics and say okay we are ai ops <laughs> okay that's not the so that is one b but whenever a new thing comes you should also have a if i have to say one volunteer or any business line okay where these they will say we'll try it in our organization so a a technical evaluation team which is architects coe and a volunteer where you can try it out this new technology you know with the combination of this it will go forward and i'm telling this from my experience we tried to go and pitch it to only the business and only architect uh, at some point of time we had to do the handshake <laughs> that is, so you really need that kind of collaborative buy in to make it happen and then i guess the very last question i have because we we're, we're almost out of time this has been fascinating because at least for me it's a, it's a new area which is how do i know that i'm in a position where i need to think about ai ops what problem do i have that it's like okay this should be something i put into my okrs this quarter okay see ai ops will uh, solve certain problem of uh, efficiency agility resiliency correct and most importantly reducing risk okay first and foremost i mean we don't talk about it much but important is reducing risk okay so the time is now okay so we are talking about ai ops for uh, last 7 years okay and in my view in last 2 years it has become common place it has become so common place that when i go and talk to a cto he has said you know three other people talk to the same thing to me you know today so it has become so common place so that time is now you know uh, because the technologies are available today okay but my only thought will be that you please try to tie it with your requirement and priorities say for example and your maturity also say for example if you don't have monitoring in place it is possible correct so let's do because if you don't have data what will you do you know after that second is probably event management is a good place that is one side of it uh, but also you try to one should try to get into the automation intelligent automation on from the other side of it because it gives you efficiency correct and it gives you energy to bring in new technology to invest more in this new technology and somewhere all these things will meet you remember peter i talked about monitoring context you know observability triaging event management and at last you do the automation it need not go like this it can come from both side and probably that's the most practical example but i will say that time is now what you want to choose you know is based on your priority your budget etc but there are enough products available in the market today you know the maturity is there where you can go with some faith i will say <laughs> right arunava thank you so much for taking the time to to share your your wisdom thank you thanks a lot for having me and you know at least uh, the message will reach to the people what we think here in our mind and talk to people and hopefully this will be useful for you in your day to day life that's great thanks so much Thank you.